Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. We're hitting the road today for points south, Mexico City, home of the richest man in the world, telecom magnate Carlos Slim, capital city of an economic power possibly rivaling Brazil, also home to the composer of this music, Silvestre Revueltas. This symphony, not something you might immediately associate with Mexico. Listen. And that's our mission this week, to tell a few stories about the unexpected in Mexico, especially Mexico City, home to more than 21 million people in its metro area. Did you know that? Did you know Mexico has the number one fastest growing tech industry in the hemisphere, number one overall in Latin America? And here's one you might not know. Mexico is number two in the world in obesity. Number one, the U.S., of course. To start us off this week, looking at what is surprising about Mexico, we're joined by Christopher Wilson of the Woodrow Wilson Center's Mexico Institute and author of the just-published The State of the Border Report. Christopher, welcome. Thanks for having me. How surprising. I mean, Mexico has experienced some uh, short-term setbacks economically, at least in the last quarter. But uh, the forecasts for growth in Mexico far exceed those of the United States, extending into the next two, three years. Right. In the in the short term, Mexico is always linked to the United States, sort of the, you know, uh, cold in the United States becomes a flu in Mexico because Mexico depends so much on the United States as its export market. But, you know, what's slowly happened over the past several decades is that the, the fundamentals, the the basis of the Mexican economy has just been improved uh, with macroeconomic stability, uh, a number of factors sort of improving the competitiveness of their manufacturing sector in particular. And that really means that Mexico now is becoming a middle class society and is becoming a, a, a manufacturing powerhouse globally. And uh, is, is it is there a tipping point where the, the dependence on the United States um, keeps the Mexican industries from becoming uh, competitive worldwide or do they have something of a crutch in the uh, U.S. market? Well, competing against, you know, competing for U.S. market is actually has been a really good learning process for Mexican companies. They've become competitive globally because they've had to compete with the global giants that are the U.S. transnational companies. So that that competition has been a good thing. But nonetheless, Mexico absolutely does need to get to a point where it's not so dependent on the U.S. for its market. And, and that will come when Mexico becomes more dependent on its domestic market, when that rising middle class, you know, reaches what you say a sort of a tipping point to where its own economy, its own market is driving its economic growth much more than just the United States. Carlos Slim worth $73 billion. Is he an outlier or is he essentially a model for uh, emerging market uh, wealth and prosperity and entrepreneurship based in Mexico City? Maybe a bit of both at the same time. Uh, you know, he he when Telmex, uh, which was the the phone company in Mexico, was privatized uh, in the you know just before NAFTA was implemented in the nineties, uh, you know he he took it over, and so it went from being a state run monopoly to uh, a less than fully competitive uh, market 
uh, privately held hands. And so he's benefited from that lack of competition there. But at the same time, uh, he has competed in the United States and throughout Latin America against lots of other phone companies and, and been very successful. So I think there's no reason to expect that his companies can't compete uh, is as Mexico's market becomes more and more competitive. And actually, just within the past few months, Mexico's passed telecommunication reform, uh, which will introduce more competition into its cell and landline phone markets. We're talking to Christopher Wilson of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars, co-author of the State of the Border Report. It's from their Mexico Institute. The border between the U.S. and Mexico is a, a sort of economic netherworld, a uh, criminal, uh, you know, a zone of, of a lot of terrifying phenomena one way or another, whether we're talking about immigration or the drug war. Would you say that the border between the U.S. and Mexico also constitutes the real risk to the Mexican economy, that that's where those risks lie in terms of political instability and the like? Uh, I think that the border region is very misunderstood, uh, both in sort of Washington, D.C. or throughout the United States, but also even in Mexico City. It's uh, it's an area that's very far from the nation's capitals, and uh, it tends to be characterized in in press reports or by analysts as exactly that, a, an area of tremendous risk. And that's not to say that there's not uh, a fair bit of truth there, but it's also where all of this economic relationship between the United States and Mexico happens. It's where a billion dollars of day, per day of trade cross uh, between the two countries. Uh, it's there are you know lots of jobs. The the northern region of Mexico has been more dynamic economically over the past couple of decades than any other part of the country. So it's an area both uh, of some risks and of tremendous opportunity. Uh, on the security front, there's been some really interesting developments where cities that previously were very dangerous, like Tijuana and Ciudad Juarez, or Juarez, uh, right across from Texas, El Paso, Texas, have become much safer. Their, their murder rates have really plummeted over the past year and a half or two years. Uh, but some of the other parts of the border, uh, especially Tamaulipas, which is the state uh, right across from South Texas, is still facing very serious security challenges. There, there absolutely are parts of that state where criminal groups exert at least as much control as the, the federal or state governments do. One of the interesting things in your State of the Border report, and I'm extrapolating a little bit here, but in a zone, the border area, where there is so much obvious economic cooperation between Mexico and the United States in political terms, as you get closer and closer to the border, you find less and less political cooperation, uh, intelligence sharing and the like between the U.S. and Mexico. Yeah, you know, I mean, in a certain way, there, there there is intelligence sharing, but it happens in a much more informal uh, way at the border. They're, they're, you know, it's personal relationships. So, for example, a group of cops in Tijuana and a group of cops in San Diego actually meet every month uh, just to have lunch and talk. Uh, but, you know, when they talk, uh, they, they share intelligence. And when they need to, to pass some intelligence, they then just have a cell phone number that they call of, of somebody that they know and trust. Uh, rather than depending on, on much more formal channels. And so that's one of the challenges for the federal governments is, you know, as we're looking at creating new institutional frameworks for, for passing intelligence, uh, Mexico is trying to really actually even centralize uh, intelligence sharing even more right now with the new government. 
how does that fit in a region where intelligence sharing really just means uh, a call or uh, you know a quick chat between people that know each other? That that actually you know these, these cities on the border, Tijuana and San Diego, El Paso and Ciudad Juarez, uh, they're one city and they just happen to have an international border running right in the middle of them. And so the way they function is uh, there's international relations there, but it's of a very different kind than the type of international relations between Washington, D.C. and Mexico City. All politics, all intelligence, all uh, sort of justice, in a sense, is uh, local in the border region. If you're talking about the U.S.-Mexico border, Christopher Wilson of the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars is co-author of the State of the Border Report. Christopher, thanks so much. Thank you. And we are headed to Mexico City uh, today, and we'll be reporting from there all the rest of the week. We'd love to have your stories of the U.S.-Mexico relationship. If you if you have one, you can share them at 8778-MY-TAKE. You can post a comment at thetakeaway.org. We will be in Mexico City taking a look at some surprising stories about a city of 21 and a half million people. That's the number that live in the metro area of Mexico City. Give us a call at 8778-MY-TAKE. Find us at facebook.com slash the takeaway. Todd Zwillick will be here holding down the fort in New York while you'll be hearing my voice and voices of Mexico City. Thanks so much for listening. I'm John Hockenberry. This is The Takeaway. Takeaway.